So we'll get back on track here. Now that the kids are out of here. Now we can have a real party. <laughs> um, so I wanted to share with you, uh, this uh, This sermon's interesting. This sermon is um, not what I had planned to preach this week, actually. Sometimes God takes a hold of things, and you just never know what direction he's going to take you. So I was challenged by a couple of different things uh, this week. Uh, one of the one of the pastors I really respect, one of the writers and podcasters and, and uh, authors that I really respect is Francis Chan. I haven't read a lot of Francis Chan. I've heard lots of his stuff, but um, in... Uh, shopping for some deacon's gifts. Uh, I came across a book called Crazy Love, which I'd actually never read before. It's by Francis Chan. And I found it so challenging that I dove through about 40% of it. Now, I've got a Kindle, so it tells me exactly what percentage. So if I'm la- being lazy, then I, I'm challenged by that. But I wasn't being lazy this, with this book. In about 24 hours, I had read almost half of it. And I found it incredibly inspiring, and I found it incredibly challenging talking about the importance and supremacy of love in our lives and the love that God has for us and how we are meant to live out that love. And so that I found that challenging. And so that, that book, you know, that's that's a small part of this past week. But actually what, what really changed my mind and really inspired me uh, this past week was actually a, a loss. Um, most of you wouldn't know this. or I, I, I don't think I've even shared it with anyone yet. Tara knows. But um, this past week I actually lost a dear friend of mine. His name was Pastor Rob Clark. I'm not sure if any of you knew him or had ever met him before. Maybe you've heard the name. I'm sure I've referenced him before. But um, Rob Clark was my pastor, my uh, the pastor that mentored me. Um, and so Rob, Pastor Rob Clark, the, the way uh, you may know Rob Clark is Jim Potter, who pastored here uh, a, few, a few years ago now, back in 05 to 09, 2010, something like that, 09, I guess. Um Pastor Jim, before he came here, was pastoring at Ladner Christian Fellowship. And so while he was pastoring at Ladner Christian Fellowship, he brought in a man named Rob Clark. And Rob Clark was the kid's pastor there for a long time. I don't know if it would have been 15 years or it was quite a long time. And so while they were there, um, Rob was, uh, was the children's pastor. And while they were ministering in Ladner, they got the call to come to a camp called Lake Hills Pentecostal Camp. Now, Lake Hills Pentecostal Camp is my camp. My home camp, Kids Rock Camp, is my camp now. But when I was a kid, I uh, I met Jesus for the first time at Lake House Pentecostal Camp when I was just ten years old. Uh, and so in 2002, uh, Rob Clark and a whole team of teenagers, uh, and and a few adults, thankfully, to chaperone, but a whole team of teenagers came up and ministered at Lake House Pentecostal Camp. I was 16 years old at the time, and I was counseling a cabin of kids, and I met Rob for the first time. And my life was changed by him, and uh, we struck up a, a very close and dear friendship from that from that time uh, on. When I went to Bible college, um, I needed to attend a church. Obviously, Ladner is about an hour away at that time, an hour and fifteen minutes away, uh, and that seemed close enough to me. And so every Sunday, I would minister at uh, Ladner Christian Fellowship with Rob. I spent four great years there, and Rob Clark taught me more about ministry than anyone else in my life. Any four years in Bible college has doesn't hold a candle to what I learned from Pastor Rob. Uh, he mentored me, loved me, spent every weekend sleeping at his house. And uh, so he, uh, he got liver failure from non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver. He'd had a liver transplant that failed and then had another liver transplant that, that didn't get rejected, but his body was just too weak. And so this past week he passed away from that. And he's only 52 years old. He's got young teenage boys still. 
Um, and so we're struggling through that loss this week. And obviously that uh, makes one reflect a little bit. Um, faced with kind of feeling guilty about not keeping in better touch and also reflecting on a man that I really deeply loved and cared about. Uh, I was I was thinking about um, why he had such an impact on my life. Why it's you know it, it's it's good to remember the good times and it's important to do those things. And um, his his funeral service is in Saskatchewan next week. Actually, the same day as our banquet, I won't be able to go. Um, and so I felt it was important this week to to talk about uh, and th- for me think about the things the impact they had on my life. And so as I was reflecting on that and and realizing why I was so impacted by his life and why uh, he, he taught me so much and what exactly he taught me, I, I was thinking through a, a whole bunch of different things and, and out of that came the importance of love and I'll share about why in a few moments. So um, so first of all, as it just so happens to work out that this Sunday is the Advent Sunday of love. Hope was last week. We have a, the hope of a savior and we talked a little bit about that, not in depth, but uh, this week the theme is love and it's never a bad time to be reminded about love. It's it's just, I, I, I refuse to feel guilty about preaching about love despite the fact that I've preached many times on love before. My first sermon that I ever preached was when I was 16 years old. I preached in Kitimat, uh, New Life Assembly, it was called at that time. I think it still is. Uh, and I had no business being up in front of anyone saying anything. And yet the pastor, the interim pastor at the time, Jim Richmond, was uh, brave enough to let me preach. And I preached on 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to touch on today because I am continually challenged by that chapter. And I preached about the importance of love. But love we find throughout Scripture. We see that God is love. And we see that all of the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, hangs on the importance of love. And that's actually my first uh, my first reminder to us. So resist the urge to feel like this is old and this is something that you've heard before. And rather, allow yourself to be challenged by it. That's something, as I was reading through Crazy Love, Francis Chan, he says, you may have heard these before, but but just resist that temptation to, to, allow, to allow it to just gloss over you or allow yourself to go, oh, I know this one already and I can just check out. Instead, truly consider and reflect on the significance, not of my words, but of God's words from, from his word, from the word of God. And so um, you can't talk about love without addressing the fact that it love is a commandment from God. And not only is it a commandment, it's the, the two most important and significant commandments spoken by Jesus himself. And so as the Pharisees were coming to Jesus, trying to trick him with, oh, we have this trick question that's going to stump him. Jesus comes up with an immediate response. And it's twofold. What They asked him, what's the singular greatest commandment? He said, well, it's actually two. First of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then if you read it in, in Mark, that's the Matthew version. If you read it in Mark, it also adds all your strength in there. Essentially, God is telling us to love him with everything we have, every part of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength, And then to love our neighbors with the same level of love that we have for ourselves. Now, if there's something that I'm certain I've preached a lot about, it's A, number one, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You haven't been in this church long enough if you've never heard me say Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
talk, it's our theme verse, perhaps. So, so some of you are new enough, and yet I think you still heard about Romans 12, 1 and 2. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is such a significant part of our Christian walk, of being living living sacrifices. I just think it's it's hugely important to the walk of a believer. But the second thing I've preached often about and talked at length about and will not feel guilty about is the importance of love. And so we need constant reminders of the importance of love because, and the reason we need reminders is it doesn't come naturally to us. Love comes naturally to us. Love comes, love comes softly. I don't know, I'm all of a sudden on, on Tara's track of all, all her, favorite, some of her favorite TV show. Anyway, but love, love comes naturally to us when people love us. And so this is what I want to challenge you with this morning. The kind of love that God is talking about is not reciprocated love. That kind of love is easy. The kind of love that we have for people who treat us really well, who lavish us with gifts, who, who take care of us and pray for us, that kind of love is easy. That kind of, I, I hate to burst your bubble about that kind of love, but that's the kind of love that people, we Christians think that God is talking about. Oh, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, it's easy to love people when you come to church and everyone's friendly and happy. That kind of love is not the kind of love that God is talking about. Jesus himself said, that that kind of love is the exact same kind of love that the pagans have. How good? What good is it to love people who love you back? That's not the kind of love that God is talking about. God is talking about a much deeper love, and I want to challenge you with that kind of thinking. The kind of love that God is calling us to is a radical love. I think this is why, I haven't got to the end of the book yet, but I think this is why Francis Chan calls his book Crazy Love. It's fitting. It is crazy to kind of have the kind of love that God wants us to have. To reach out in our community and love people the way Jesus loved people. And I know you've heard those words before, but let that just sink in for a moment. God isn't calling you just to love your neighbor if they're friendly. God isn't calling you to love the people in this church that you get along with. He's calling you to love the people that you don't get along with. The people who have deeply offended you. Maybe within this very room even. God is calling you to love them with an everlasting love. With an everlasting love. How do I know that's true? Well, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And then he tells us to, to love people the way he loves people. He's challenging us to a deeper level of commitment in love. To an action love. We've talked in the past about different forms of love. The eros, romantic love. And phileo, brotherly love. And then the deep rich nature of agape love, sacrificial love, that deep agape love, that language barely existed before we find it in the Greek of the New Testament. And yet it becomes common usage in Greek after the New Testament because it was personified in Jesus Christ. Well, what did Jesus do to personify agape love? Well, he lived it out in a very real and practical way. He literally died for the sins of mankind. What could be more sacrificial love than that? But not only that, he not only did he die for our sins, dying for our sins, let's not downplay it. Let's not pretend it's not a huge thing. It's the hugest thing in human history that he died and rose again. But even more significant than that is the daily sacrifice of not sinning. We don't often reflect on that. But every single day, Jesus chose not to be selfish. Jesus chose not to give in to sin. He chose not to give in to pride. He chose not to give in to lust. Or, or, or greed, or anger, or uh, the times that he did give in to anger was righteous anger alone. He didn't give in to the things that we give in to on a semi-regular basis. 
And that, the, that amazing love that he had for his people, that he would come and live the perfect sinless life and then lay it down on our behalf, that is the love that Jesus is calling us to have for our neighbors. To love them just as much as you love yourself. Consider, just ref I know you've heard it probably a thousand times or more, but just consider for a moment what that might actually mean. And ask yourself if you're actually doing it. Because I had to be confronted this week, week with the fact that I, I've preached that many times and yet I don't live it at, to the level that I ought to. Not nowhere near the level that I ought to live that out. God is challenging us to a deeper love and not just for our spouses, not just for our friends and our family, but for our neighbors. God is calling us to love people even when they're annoying. You all know them, not just your children. <laughs> God is calling you to love the obnoxious. He's calling you to love the rude. He's calling you to love the drug addicted, the alcoholics, the atheists. And maybe hardest of all, God is calling you to love the other Christians who have hurt your feelings, who have offended you, who have said nasty things behind your back, who didn't act very Christ-like at all. Those are the very people that God is saying, I want you to love them with an everlasting love. You know how hard that is? <laughs> That's why it requires the love of God through us. It requires being filled with the Holy Spirit because we don't have the capacity to love like that. The world doesn't love like that. That's exactly why Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another because it's hard. It's hard when you live together with someone and they leave their socks on the floor all the time. Used to be me. I was that person. <laughs> No pointing fingers, but it was me. <laughs> Who has two socks, two thumbs, and leaves their socks in the floor all the time. This no, I don't do it anymore. But you know what? When you live with someone long enough and they get on your nerves, all of you have had roommates or spouses or friends, or you've just shared a hotel room with someone. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. We had a, uh, there was a singles group. No, I was not part of this group. This is older. But when I was a teenager, there was a singles group. Um, from our church that used to go to men's retreats and stuff. And so um, all these men decided they were going to go to a men's retreat. And so they all shared a room together. It was like five guys. You know, it's not, I don't think they even shared a hotel room. I think they were like billeting at someone's house. And so he, there, was, there was, you know, men who were widowed and men who were single divorced. or And then there was one man who had never been married before, never really had a girlfriend before. This is not a judgment on that. This is just, he he had a different way of doing things. And he, he so... They were uh, they were packing up for the night. And he had this air mattress, so here he, here he was with his loud motorized pump. He plugs into the wall, and <laughs> pumps up his air mattress, and so in the middle of the night, his air mattress had, must have had a hole in it. And he woke up. <laughs> and here's his air mattress. And he's laying on the ground. Three in the morning. He's used to living alone. Understand? <laughs> he plugs in his motor. <laughs> and everyone wakes up like it's the apocalypse. And Jesus is returning. Is that a trumpet sound? And everyone's panicked. No, it was just Glenn. He's just, he's just plugging, you know, he's, I don't know, even know where I was going with that story. <laughs> but you know what? When, when people get on our nerves and people drive us crazy and people annoy us and when people offend us, those are the people that it is challenging to love. As a pastor, I know I've been challenging to love sometimes. My prayer is that you will love me through those times. My prayer is that God will grow my love to a place where I will love you through the times where as a congregation you challenge me. Because there have been a lot. I wish I was joking. <laughs> <laughs>
It's hard. It's hard loving people. God is calling us to love God above everything else. And that needs to be the primary driver for our relationship with him. Not fear, not guilt, not just because we, it's what we've always done and not just because it's tradition. But when that kind of relationship drives us, when we are motivated by the love we have for God, simply because we reflect on, oh my goodness, or in this case, oh my God, he sent his son to earth to die for my sins, to live a perfect and sinless life. And as we reflect on Christmas and recognize the majesty of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who was there at the beginning of creation, who humbled himself to birth, humbled himself into the birth canal of a virgin woman, Mary, to, to humble parents, a carpenter. They had no business raising a child at all, let alone raising the Son of God. He humbled himself in the highest regard because of the deep and rich love he has for each and every one of us. We're going to do an exercise in a few moments of placing yourself in the Scriptures. And I want you just to think and consider for a moment that God so loved you that he gave his one and only Son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. We'll talk about that more in a few moments. Our mo motivation needs to move away from guilt and fear and towards love and obedience. And those are different things. I like what Francis Chan says. I, just, I didn't quote it, but i just reflecting. He's essentially saying, unfortunately, we often treat God as, uh, and, and in our time with God, our prayer time and, and reading his word, uh, as though it were something that we just should do, as if we're just trying not to get in trouble with him. As though that we go to church so that God won't be mad at us, or we read our Bibles because we know we should, otherwise God's going to be mad at us. And that, that kind of motivation really comes out of, uh, unfortunately, comes out of not seeing God as the Heavenly Father, as with a healthy picture in our lives. We can talk about all kinds of things with that. When we see God as our Heavenly Father, what are we seeing? Because when I see my father, I'm afraid. So it's good to fear God. I'm not going to pretend we shouldn't fear God. But our motivation for following him, God's desire is not that our motivation is that we follow him out of fear, but rather that we love him deeply. And that causes us to be afraid to disappoint him. That causes a fear of, yes, a fear of what might happen, a fear of consequences, a fear of what will happen. If we sin, we need to take sin seriously, but we also need to be motivated by love. Unfortunately, we tend to treat our relationship with God as if it were our ticket out of hell, rather than it being the goal and the prize in and of itself. The prize for us is a relationship with God, that we can be reconciled with our Father because of Jesus Christ. Not so that we have a get-out-of-hell-free card, but that we can live in resurrection life right now. Secondly, I want to continue on and talk about the mark of a Christ follower, the mark of a believer. John, Jesus tells us in John 13, 35, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the mark of a Christian. People are semi-obsessed off and on with the mark of the beast. What's the mark of the beast? We know it's going to be on the forehead or on the hand. Is it a microchip? Is it something 666 is the mark of the beast? I don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but I, I, it's not the focus. It's not the focus not only of this morning. It's not even the focus of Revelation. The focus for us should be far more concerned with what is the mark of a believer? What does a follower of Jesus Christ look like? Because that, Jesus said very simply in simple terms, is if you love one another. 
well, aren't we already doing that, God? Don't we already love one another? Even the pagans love one another. No, that's because God is, once again, calling us to a deeper love. He's calling us to a sacrificial love. Are we doing what the old, what the New Testament church did in, in the book of Acts? Are we loving people with a sacrificial love that costs us something, whether in the pocketbook or in our pride or in our time? Or it, Real, true love costs something. It has to by nature. And biblical love is going to be a sacrifice. And so let me tell you, you you're going to be challenged in the coming year. You're going to be challenged by God. You were, you, you were cursed to be here this morning. Sorry. God is going to test you in your love. Not, it might not be this week. might not be this month. But I guarantee you, God is going to test you in your love. And he's going to look at if you are loving people as you love yourself. And you've been challenged by these words the same way I've been challenged by these words. Are we going to grow in that love? Because that's the mark of a true disciple. I, this is what really hit me this past week as I was reflecting about my good friend, Pastor Rob, Rob Clark. Now say what you will about Facebook, but I was reading through all the, the, the many different posts about Rob, pictures of him, lots of good memories. We're, we've got a group text going that's been buzzing. This is the first time that my phone hasn't been buzzing like crazy in the last, like, I don't know, 48, 72 hours, however long since it happened, because they've got this group text going, but I know everyone's in church this morning, so they can't text me finally. <laughs> I had to mute the chat and everything. It's going it's buzzing off the hook. All last night. Anyways, so I, I you know, I've been reading these old stories and reflecting and seeing these very heartfelt posts. I, I don't even have the heart to write. I don't even know what to say at this point. Um, and so, but as I've been reading what other people say about this person, and lots of people that I never met before, and I see the incredible impact he's had on so many people everywhere he's gone, people from Saskatoon, people from Ladner, and then people from way before that, Calgary and other places that he lived and ministered and lived his life. And I was, I was thinking about that. And in the midst of my grief over losing a friend, I was looking through literally hundreds of comments about what Rob meant to them in their lives. And yes, we, we do this when people die, not just Christians, not just pastors and mentors. But I was impressed by the things that people were writing. And as, as it got me thinking about the legacy that we leave behind, I was reflecting on why Rob had this legacy. And I, I came to the same conclusion that others had as well, which was quite simple. The reason that Rob had an impact on my life, and I can just speak for my life, was not because he had the greatest programs. It was not because their church was the healthiest and most happening church. Because there are lots of other churches who were much more happening than our church wasn't because Rob was a super cool guy or really popular. He was incredibly popular, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, not to speak ill of the dead, but he was kind of a nerd. He was not the most popular guy, Not didn't have the coolest personality, wasn't the most exciting and had the best ideas, although sometimes he had some crazy ideas. It wasn't because Rob ran the best programs. Lots of pastors who pastored under Rob or with him or after him had much better programs, much better ideas, ran things much better, were much more organized. And those pastors had an impact too. I'm not going to pretend that they didn't. It wasn't that because they were more successful because many other pastors were much more successful than Rob was. It wasn't because Rob was a great preacher or communicator because I've heard dozens of pastors since then who have been better than Pastor Rob. I was thinking about what it boiled down to and what it boiled down to for me was the many, many nights that I spent basically living in their house free of rent, free of chipping into the food bill, 
all those meals that they lovingly cooked for not just me, but literally sometimes there'd be a dozen other people over. And here they are on their tight budget. I don't know if you, it, it was expensive even then to live in Ladner. I can't imagine how expensive it is now. And out of their meager salary, feeding all of these Bible college students just simply because they loved us. I was thinking about all the laundry that I did in their washer and dryer, surely not only wearing them out, but oftentimes being the young, you know, young adult or even teenager first at first that I was, often leaving my laundry a little too long, not on purpose, but inevitably Sherilyn would have my laundry all folded for me and sitting on my bed because she had a family of like three kids, four kids at that time, and she needed the laundry machine too. And all of those times that were, you know, adding up, all of the time we spent together, all of the time that he poured into me, and I know that it was difficult because I was difficult. I was not, I'm still, I'm 34 years old, I'm still not an organized person. So if you can imagine what I might have been like at 19 years old, running this ministry of preteens, trying to organize a bus trip, I can, I can barely organize a trip to Kamloops. So we're organizing, I remember very clearly organizing a trip to a corn maze in Langley, and I didn't know how to get there. And he was driving the bus. And so I'm phoning frantically on a borrowed cell phone trying to figure out how to get to this corn maze. And in his patience, I was the one who was frustrated, though he's the one blocking traffic in a 72-passenger bus. I was the one telling kids, quiet, I'm on the phone. And Rob is the patient one telling me, Nick, it's okay. We'll get there. It's okay. I'm just blocking thousands of people of traffic in Vancouver right now. All of those accumulations of time that he spent with me was simply because he loved me and wanted to see me succeed with Jesus. Not succeed in life. He didn't really care about success in life. Having money is fine, but... His goal for every person he came across was to see them grow in Christ. And all that time he spent, you know, it, it really amounted to not very much as far as, you know, maybe it cost some. Certainly it cost time. But all those little actions of love over the four years that I, that I interned in Ladner and spent time at his house and lived with it, slept on their couch and in their kids' rooms and on the floor and on hide-a-beds and air-beds and every manner of bed you could think of, they opened their doors to everyone who came across. And it, it was not because they were excellent and perfect pastors or most organized or had the best program. They just loved the people who they met. And it was so simple to me and so difficult to do. And it, I, I realized that Rob's house was the place not only for me but for so many other people and it was just as simple to them as opening the doors, feeding them, and loving them. And that grew into other ways. That grew into mentorship. That grew into asking for advice regularly. That grew into meetings together, yes. But all of that grew out of just very real ways that he demonstrated his love, not only to me, but to other people as well. And you can say that you love someone all you want, but to me, Rob's actions proved that he loved me. And I think for us as Christians, we can say we love God all we want, but our actions will betray us if we're lying about that. We can say we love our neighbors like we love ourselves, but our actions will prove if that's true or not. We need to be a people of action, a people who show and prove that we love people. And the beauty of that is it's very simple to do. 
We can love people with, by the way that we feed them. I, I think we have a, a great opportunity at the Christmas banquet. But if you were, if someone was starving to death and you fed them once a year or twice a year, if you include the Easter breakfast, it's not very good help. <laughs> I mean, it is loving. I'm not. I'm not trying to downplay it. Christmas banquet is huge. We do it with the specific stated purpose of being a family to those who don't have family, giving a turkey dinner to those who might not have a turkey dinner, of loving our community with the love of Jesus Christ and giving them a Christmas meal that they can share with a family of hundreds of people, or over 100 people. And so we do that with the stated purpose of God's love in mind, that we want to love our community. But if it ends there, we're failing as a church. I hate to say it to you, but we are. We are called to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. And when we do that out of God's love, because we love our community, it's going to be a powerful force for Jesus Christ in our community. And it's just as simple as loving them, well, welcoming them, spending time with them, feeding them. We can do it in very simple ways. God is calling us to do that, to stretch ourselves beyond our comfort zone to make an impact in people's lives. The third thing I want to highlight is I want to highlight on what love looks like. And it's very, um, you know, it's sometimes very easy to find, easy to define, excuse me, and yet in other ways, it's very difficult to define because it's such a broad topic. So I want to highlight on 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. If you want to read it with me, you can turn there. I'm going to turn to it as well. You've got Bibles in front of you there if you want. And uh, maybe this is a, a, a verse or, or rather a chapter that you've heard before. If you've ever gone to a wedding, you may have heard these words, these flowery, nice words before. I'm going to highlight on them, not in the context of marriage, in the context of spousal love, but in the context of loving our neighbors and loving our friends and loving God. Well, I love this chapter. I've read it many times before, and I want to read it again, but I want to read it with new eyes this morning. And the reason I want to do that is um, it's something that I, once again, came across in crazy love and was challenged by. And so I want to share that with you and challenge you with it. So we're going to jump ahead to verse 4, chapter 13, verse 4, and I just want to read it this morning, and then I want to challenge you with it after that. So it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I'll pause there. Now I want to ask you this morning if you are really living that out. And the way I'm going to ask you to see if you're living it out is I want you to put your name in there. And this is what Francis Chan said. He said, I put my name in there. And I want you to put your name in there. I want to ask yourself, is Nick patient? Go ahead. Just, just, you don't have to say it out loud, but Nick is patient. Just read it with your name. Nick is kind. Nick does not envy. Tara does not boast. Bruce is not proud. Who am I going to put on the spot next? <laughs> no one seems that concerned. Nick does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Nick is not easily angered. Nick isn't self-seeking. Nick keeps no record of wrongs. Nick always protects. Nick's al Nick always trusts, and he always hopes, and Nick always perseveres. If you can read that with your own name and get to the end of it without feeling like you're lying, then you've done it. <laughs> You love people. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you can read through that, and I really challenge you this morning to consider if you are patient 
and kind, if you never envy, if you don't boast, if you're not proud, if you can get to the end of that without lying, then by all means, you should be pastoring the church and not me. Because <laughs> I shouldn't be pastoring the church. I was reading, just starting into a book, I gave it away, called Unqualified. And the, the pastor is a very quite a famous pastor. Um, I, I'm not going to say who he is, but he, he was talking about how he was listening to a, listening to a, um, a, a well-renowned theologian being interviewed. And so this well-renowned theologian was, uh, was being interviewed, and they asked the person about this pastor who was listening. So if you can just imagine, what do you think of Nick Astle? You know, if you're in that situation. So he heard his name, and he perked up, and he ran back into the room as he was getting ready for church. And the theologian, well, a really well-known man, hung his head. Everyone kind of laughed in the crowd because they knew what he was really going to think of him. Not a fan. <laughs> and he just said, unqualified. <laughs> and this pastor said, you know, I, uh, at first I wanted to jump up and defend myself, although no one was listening. He was watching it on YouTube. <laughs> and then he, he said he's struggling because in one sense he wants to defend himself. In the other sense he says, buddy, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> No one is less qualified than I am. God is regularly in the business throughout Scripture of choosing those, once again, who are not qualified for the work that God has called them for. You people are not qualified to love your neighbor as you love yourself, and neither am I. We're not up to snuff. We're not up to task. There's no one good, not even one, not one righteous person. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags and that's being polite about it. I don't even want to gross you out with what it really means. If you know, then you know what I'm talking about. God is challenging us to not just have our good deeds and wave them around like we're really nice people and say, I love my neighbor like I love myself. He's challenging us to consider if we are living out a 1 Corinthians 13 love. He's challenging us to consider if we're living out a self-sacrificing, willing to die for my neighbor love. Because a lot of us are not willing to cross the street for our neighbors as it stands right now, let alone die for their sins. <laughs> and God's not calling us to lay down our lives for our sins. He's calling for us to lay down an afternoon to visit with our neighbors. He's not calling us to go out and die as a sacrificial, perfect, spotless lamb because he's already done that. He's not crazy. He's not calling us to do the outrageous and un impossible task of dying for people, though there will be those who are martyred for their faith. God is not calling many people in this room to that faith. He's calling us to a very real and practical love to reach out to our neighbors in this Christmas season and well beyond to love them with an everlasting love. To love them even though they've hurt our feelings. To love them in spite of the way that they treat us. To show them the care that God has for them regardless of the color of their skin or their sexuality or whether they know they're a woman or a man or not. God is calling us to a deep, abiding love, no matter what. And if we can truly say that we are loving our neighbors like we love ourselves, we will see our community deeply and profoundly impacted by this church to the point that these doors will never hold nearly enough people that will be breaking down the doors uh, i mean i'm talking about a life-changing life-altering love i'm talking about all every single one of us needing to stretch ourselves way way beyond what you are already doing 
And I can tell right now that that's going to be uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable for me. But if you're willing to get uncomfortable with the love that you have for people, I mean, this has really challenged me this week. That, and I, I want to really challenge you with it to consider the impact that you're having for the kingdom of God. Because just going through the motions of going to church, I, I'm sorry to say, isn't, isn't the high calling that God has called you to. It's not, it's not that we have to earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift from God. I like the analogy I came across this week. I actually don't remember where I read it. Probably in Francis Chan's book, but I don't remember. But basically, they, they were, uh, this person was saying, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I have to earn my salvation now. He, he likened it to receiving the free gift of salvation as a pair of skates. And he said, I, you, what, you, what I feel like is you've given me this free gift of salvation, this, this pair of skates, and I've been going to the skating rink and doing whoop-de-doos and spinning around and enjoying myself doing a bit of you know, fun figure skating. And now I feel like what you're calling me to do is join your hockey team and practice and work out and train, work as a team and achieve this goal. And I just need to, I need some time to pivot to that. And I need, I need some, a little bit of time to shift my focus from, oh, this is this free gift of salvation that I can have fun and enjoy to a, a new focus of we've received this gift and now there's a purpose to that. It's not that we earn our salvation. I will, I'll, you will never once hear me say that we can earn our salvation because our righteousness is this filthy rags. But we are called to action as believers. If we love God, Jesus said, it, you, if, you want to, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That's what love is. If you love me, obey my commands, obey my teaching. And so love leads to obedience. If we really love God, we'll listen to what he has to say. And not begrudgingly and out of duty and certainly not out of guilt, but rather out of a deep love and reverence for God. And so bringing it around full circle, uh, I want to consider that Christmas really is all about God's love. And think about the significance of the most, well, I'll bring it back to what we talked about before, but the most well-known verse in the Bible, at least for most people, is John 3.16. I'll share with you one brief story. When I was growing up in, in the church in Kitimat, Kitimat Pentecostal Church, um, they had a, a big banner, and in the, on the banner it just it had John three sixteen at the bottom, and it said, "For God so loved you." And I remember looking at that lots of times in worship, and I'm never giving it much thought. But when I really reflected on it and considered that, and it, re, I, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me through that through that banner. If God can speak through art, which I believe He can, does He spoke to me and He said, "I." do love you, and if you place yourself in John 3.16, you can experience just a glimpse of what God is talking about in John 3.16. And Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world, and if you can put yourself in there, for God so loved Dinah, that he gave his, sorry Dinah, you're right in the front, it's your mistake for sitting there. <laughs> you're brave to sit in the front. For God so loved Catherine, that he gave his one and only son, so that if Catherine believes in him, she will not perish, but have eternal life. Put yourself in those shoes and consider the depth of God's love for you. Really reflect. I mean, really. Just, just place yourself in John 3.16. And God loves you so deeply that there is no amount of failure that can, re that can remove that from you. There's no sin that can remove that love. Uh, we, we have it in Romans. Uh, for I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Convinced in Romans 8 
that nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us. Not famine, not darkness, not sword, not any of the list that Paul writes about in Romans 8. God's love is abounding and rich and never everlasting, never ending, never failing. And when God speaks about love being patient, he says it because God is patient. When Romans 13, excuse me, when 1 Corinthians 13 says love is kind, God writes that because God is kind. He is every part of what he writes about himself in here, and he never fails. That kind of love is the kind of love that I want to return to God. That's the kind of love that I want to have for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm not there yet. I need to grow because sometimes my motivation is it's my job. I'm a pastor. I have to. Sometimes my motivation for opening the Word of God is as a textbook instead of as a love letter from God. Sometimes my motivation is I should read my Bible because if I don't, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Or have you ever felt that? Oh, I gotta do it. It's not always like that. My prayer is that you'll find it a delight, that you will just love God so much that as you read it, you hear his heart for you and you go, wow, I'm blown away, but that doesn't always happen. <laughs> but I am encouraging you today to consider the love that God has for you and to just reflect on that and say, Lord, you're worthy of my love. How can I not love a Savior who loves me so deeply that he made it intensely personal? When he sent his son, not just a man, God's one and only son, to come to earth to die for my sins, to live a perfect and sinless life. Imagine the unselfishness it took to live as long as I've lived and never sin, And despite that, die for our sins and then rise again. Consider that that love is well worth reciprocating. It is well worth following Jesus for that love alone. And he continues to show his love to us regularly. He continues to bless us and show his mercy to us. That kind of love, that's what God is challenging us towards. He wants us to grow in our love this season, to, to show our love to our neighbors the way we love ourselves, to sacrifice even when it hurts, even when it costs something. God is calling us to that kind of love, to bury our pride and love our neighbors like we love ourselves. Will we be patient and kind rather than envious or boastful or prideful. Let's love God with everything we've got and let's love our neighbors like we love ourselves this Christmas season. It's the best gift you can give to the people around you is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Let's do that this Christmas and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that you challenge us, that you equip us and that you prepare us. Lord, may we prepare ourselves now to go out into the world around us and make an impact. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us right now. And we pray that you will show us the people that you are calling us to love. Bring into our minds right now, Lord, we invite you to bring into our minds the people that we have failed at loving in the past, that now you are calling us to a deeper love. Not just to be courteous, not just to be friendly and kind, but to love them with a deep and rich love that you have for them. Lord, grow that love in us because we can't do it on our own. Holy Spirit, fill us that we might be filled with your compassion for the people around us, that we would love them deeply and richly and with an unending love, that we would care so deeply for them that we're also not willing that any should perish, that we would reach out with actions of love in very simple ways, with friendship and kindness and gentleness and love, 
who would welcome people willingly into our homes and love them the way that you love them, God. Help us to be your hands and feet, showing people your love through our actions. May people recognize our faith and our Christianity by the love that we have for one another, God. And may we reach out in a powerful way in the year ahead, Lord. Show us the people that you are calling us to. Show us the people that you are wanting us to reach out to, Lord. And give us the opportunity, an opportunity that we can't ignore and can't deny, Lord. And then equip us and prepare us to do that, Lord. May we step out in faith and in love, trusting you, Holy Spirit, to give us the words to say and the things to do, Lord God. We ask you to bless us with good fellowship and a love for one another. Uh, that abounds today and challenge us and equip us for the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Lord bless you this week. Consider yourself challenged, and we'll see you soon. God bless. <laughs>